Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, today's podcast is a little bit of news and some of your Disney questions. I've gotten a couple questions recently that I thought were worth coming back to and providing on a podcast because they might be of general interest. So let's start off with some news items. It's interesting how Disney continues to evolve and think about things differently. You may have noticed that the Main Street Electrical Parade moved on from the Magic Kingdom back over to Disneyland, its original home. And there is no replacement in mind for the Main Street Electrical Parade. It's kind of funny. Disney has kind of made this decision that in the Magic Kingdom, a nighttime parade may not be their best option. They still have two versions of Wishes. Oh, excuse me. I believe that it's recently changed names again and there's a little bit different music. Can't think of the new name at the moment. But anyway, slightly different show, but the same basic concept of the fireworks and some other things. And they've got the two shows they do each evening, depending on park closing time. Sometimes it's just one, but they do those. And they also do a castle show where they're uh, reflecting images onto the castle and doing some different things with the castle. And I have to believe that there's, more go- there's going to be more drones involved with some of the shows in the not-too-distant future. That was the whole reason for doing the drone program and getting it all figured out, was they wanted to figure out how to use it in other places, especially the Magic Kingdom. Now, why would they stop the nighttime parade in the Magic Kingdom? Well... My personal belief is there's a couple of reasons for it. One is that they want to make sure that guests can get across the park in a reasonable amount of time. You know, especially toward the end of the night, people want to go from one part of the park to another, and it's difficult to get from different parts of the park because of the parade route. Especially considering the way the Fast Pass Plus works, I understand there were some guest complaints about having times for Fast Pass Pluses and having to cross the park and there being some issues with the parade route, cutting them off from getting from one place to another. There's also the opportunity for guests to increase their spending at that period of time when there would normally be a parade going on. So what has happened in the past is guests start lining up for the parade, they start queuing up, they get excited about it, and the parade may be at 9 o'clock, and you may see people start lining up and finding a space on Main Street as early as 7.30. So that's an hour and a half of lost time in the park, especially when people could be browsing through gift shops. So it's an opportunity for Disney to potentially increase spend among guests because they spend more time doing other things. Yeah, there's a little bit of a guest inconvenience that happens there because you don't have a parade. But by doing other shows and activities, but they still have the Festival of Fantasy that happens throughout the day, and the Move It Shake It parade is going to be continuing for a while. So there's still things happening throughout the day, but these parades still don't disrupt traffic as much because of the time of day that they're happening on. I will be curious to see what Disney does about this and in the long term how it all kind of works out. But it, I find it kind of interesting that they've, they've thought this through a little bit differently and are trying something new. Plus, of course, don't forget the fact that a parade is moderately expensive, especially some of the more sophisticated parades like, say, Spectra Magic that they had in the past, which had many dancers and a lot of illumination and a lot of things happening. It's expensive to, to run a parade like that. 
in terms of the overall cost and the number of cast members that they have to use and so forth. So I'm sure that that was a factor in consideration when they thought about getting rid of a parade. Bean counters being what they are, that's sometimes what happens. But the guest experience, you expect that they'll do more things to kind of plus it a little bit and make it a little more compelling to be there in the evenings rather than having a nighttime parade. In other news, I keep hearing about subtle little tweaks and changes to different programs. The PhotoPass experience, the dining plan and how you can apply it and use some of your credits, tweaks in the bus pricing for the express bus that goes between the different theme parks, cutting off traditional bus routes between certain resorts and, say, the water parks, things of that nature. Just all of these little things, they're all very subtle. And most guests wouldn't even notice. But what I'm seeing is a pattern of something where Disney is trying to change the experience a little bit and make it a little bit different than it was in the past. Not necessarily in a bad way, but just trying to make it so that, let's say you're staying at one of the uh, all-star resorts and you want to get to Typhoon Lagoon. Now you have to go to some, you have to go to a, another station along the way to be able to get to uh, Typhoon Lagoon. You'd have to leave from the All-Star Resort and have to go to Disney Springs, and then from Disney Springs, take another bus to the Typhoon Lagoon. So it's enough to notice, but it's not so much that it's a really a huge inconvenience. And again, like the dining plan with some of the changes to the way you can use your credits, those are very subtle things that have no direct impact on most guests, but they're just things that you start to notice where Disney is kind of changing little policies and little things. And I heard out in Disneyland, they actually changed the policy related to uh, saving space for a parade. That's a big thing that happens in Disneyland. You don't see that in Disney World as much. Where people will lay out and uh, prepare for the parade hours and hours in advance by laying out towels and things so that they can use that space for the parade. That's They've kind of staked it out. Disney changed their policy to make sure that that can't happen anymore. Uh, they won't let people lay, leave their stuff out like that and, and stake out of place. So that tradition has just changed. I'm not saying the tradition was right or wrong or indifferent. I'm just pointing out that Disney changed the policy and changed the tradition in, in doing so. I found that to be kind of interesting in the way they approached it. Now, another story that's been floating around is that Disney filed for permits to actually create a kind of gondola ride system that would go between different areas. That's, that's somewhere in the area of Disney Springs, the studios in Epcot, and may go into some of the resorts in that area. Now, whether they actually proceed to make a gondola or whether they actually proceed to make something else, I don't know. But it's interesting that Disney is kind of looking for different ways to move guests around. As I've mentioned on many podcasts in the past, buses are expensive. They're dirty. They're you know, not environmentally friendly. There's you know, a lot more maintenance that's required on them. So if you could come up with a different way to get guests from point A to point B, all the better. I still think the monorail system is probably your best bet in terms of getting people around. But I appreciate the fact that Disney is looking at alternative means of getting people around. And if anybody could come up with a creative way of, of doing it, I would think it would be Disney. So maybe you'll see a gondola system similar to what you see in other places around the world. Or maybe you'll see something else. It's not really a gondola per se, but some other sort of thing. Because when you think gondola, the first thing you think of is the Skyway, the what they used to have at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. But I don't think that's what they have in mind. Certainly not those cars like that that are you know small four-person buckets. But I would believe that they might think about something bigger that's a mass transportation system. Perhaps they'll come up with something very clever that's cost-effective that they could do that would make, a, make it easier to get from a couple of points around that area of the world. And if they can do that, then they could start to expand it out to other places. So perhaps they could be innovative and come up with some creative solutions. The question is, you know, kind of like the monorails in a sense, you only have a certain, a certain amount of track you can travel on. And you have to be able to get from point A to point B to point C and then back and forth. So to be able to, to do a circuit is sort of a challenge. And how do you move from 
one place to another. Maybe it just goes around in a giant circle and just stops at all these different places. Or maybe they'd have different routes that would go to different places. I don't know. But the intriguing prospect is that they might come up with something innovative and kind of cool. And you have to figure that Disney would come up with some kind of unique looking cars too. Whatever they, whatever transportation mode they come up with, you have to figure that they'll come up with some sort of unique car system, some vehicle that would make it kind of cool. Disney never skimps on that sort of a thing where they make it really look like something compelling. It's not just the way it it goes. It's not just the mode of transportation, but there's some stylish nature to it that makes it kind of cool. Oh, two other Disney World things I wanted to talk about briefly. And one is the Rivers of Light show that's at the Animal Kingdom. I heard this open recently. I haven't had a chance to see it myself, but I have seen a video of it. And I'm like, I want to see this. I want to see the technology that Disney's using to come up with a creative show that, that shows off a creative spirit. Uh, it kind of goes along with the idea of the animal kingdom and some of the things that they wanted to do there. So I look forward to seeing it in the not too distant future because I really do want to see what it looks like and how Disney kind of uh, built that experience. It's the first time they've done a nighttime show at the animal kingdom. So that one sounds intriguing to me. The other thing is Pandora, the world of Avatar, is expected to open on May 27th. Now, I'm still not convinced that I like the whole Pandora experience or the Avatar movie. But that's okay. I like what I've seen in terms of what they're doing with the audio animatronics, with some of the rides, some of the concepts that they've come up with. And when you look in there at some of the videos and seen some pictures online that people have taken, imagery that they've created, this, this sense of imagination, the things they've done are really interesting. And I think they've done a very creative job of, of making something that's kind of cool. So I look forward to seeing it. Sometime in the next couple of months, I'd like to make it to be able to see that as well. Uh, it's over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. There's a going to be a big preview going on of it. I don't know if I'm going to make it up for the preview. I have my doubts about that, but I'm going to try and go as soon afterwards as I can to give some feedback on what I think about it. So there you go. Now, as far as questions that I've gotten, there was one big question I've gotten a couple of times in the last, oh, couple of weeks, I'd say. And that big question is, can you tell me a little bit more about the Magic Bands, the Fast Pass Plus, and how it all works? You know, I get it. It's a it's a kind of an overwhelming thing, especially for somebody who hasn't been to Disney World in quite some time. And you look at it and you go, what the heck are they doing there? So let's take a step back and look at this. The main thing is here that they created something called the Magic Band. It looks something like a wristwatch, but perhaps it's a little more colorful and it doesn't have a face on it that tells time, but it feels sort of like a wristwatch. You wear that on your arm and that device is your room key, your theme park tickets, your link to your dining plan and a link to a credit card so that you can actually make purchases if you want to. Now there's some security around it. You have a pin code that goes along with it, but essentially this becomes the all-in-one solution to everything you're doing when you're at Disney World. And it also connects to the system so that you can use it for FastPass. So basically when you decide you're going to take a vacation, you make a purchase of a, uh, you make a vacation purchase to stay on property at Disney. So you're going to stay at one of the Disney Resort hotels. When you're booking it, they will automatically customize and send you magic bands for each one of the members of the party that you list on the reservation. So when you get there, essentially check-in is much simpler now because you've already got a credit card on file, you've already got the band in your hands, you've already got your theme park tickets, so you can just go off and start enjoying your day. You go up to the front desk, depending on which resort you stay in, some of them have it a little more simplified than others, but essentially you go up to the front desk, they say, yep, you're here, check you in, and you just they tell you what room you're in. In some resorts, they'll actually give you a text message to tell you what room you're in, so you can just show up at the room. Now, if you're taking the Magical Express because you came via the plane, they'll uh, take care of you that way too, because as you get off the bus, they'll direct you to the right place, whether it's directing you to the front desk or directing you to your room, whatever's appropriate, and they'll get you there. 
and you can go off and start enjoying Disney magic right away. So it's a really pretty cool thing. It's a very simple thing. They made it very easy to use in that sense. There's also the My Disney Experience app that goes on your phone or your electronic device because you, maybe you're carrying an iPad around with you. I've seen people carrying around you know, larger devices in the parks. So you download that app and that app allows you to do a lot more things within it so you can make dining reservations. You can actually book your fast passes through it and so forth. You can do all of these things in real time while you're in the parks. Very cool. Now, if you're staying on Disney property and you're staying at a resort hotel, the deal is that you can start booking your fast passes up to 60 days in advance of your arrival. So when you've got your reservation and you're all, ready, you're all set, within 60 days, you can actually log into the app and you can actually start to book your fast passes. Now, the fast pass program's a little little quirky to use, a little clunky. They tried to make it as user-friendly as they could, but they're trying to manage where people tier into different rides and shows and attractions. So you might have to tweak it a little bit and play with it a little bit to get some of the things you want. But essentially, on the 60th day from your arrival, you can start booking your fast passes and decide what attractions you want to see on which days. Now, the rules around the fast passes are, for the most part, you can only have three at any given time, and they have to be in the same park. So as you plan your days, you'll think, okay, Monday, I want to be in the Magic Kingdom. Tuesday, I want to be in Epcot. Wednesday, I want to be in the studios. So as you're doing that, you can start to book your fast passes in that grouping. So it doesn't make it easy to do park hopping in that sense. But what they do allow you to do is after you've used up those three fast passes in one day, you can add another fast pass for either the same park you're in or for a different park. And as you may have heard me say, I've used this to my advantage in the past. A couple of times I've booked a fast pass and I've, as I'm standing in the park, I go, gee, I wonder if so-and-so is available. And I go look, and I may see that it's in a different park. And I'm like, great, I'm going to go take that one and I'm going to go see it. That's how I got to see Frozen Ever After. I was just standing in the park and I was slipping through and I saw that there was one available and I took it because I'd already used my three for the day. So it kind of, I was, and I was, and I was actually in the studios at that point. So I had to actually switch parks, but it worked out. So that's kind of how the FastPass system works. Now, you can book your entire FastPass selection beginning on the day of 60 days out from the first day of your trip. So let's suppose you were going to arrive on a Monday and you're staying through a Friday. It's 60 days from the Monday. You can actually book all the way through Friday. So just kind of keep that in mind. You can book the entire trip on the first time you go in. Of course, dining reservations can be made pretty much any time within 180 days. So from the day you book your trip, you can start planning your dining even though the fast passes can't be booked within 60 days. Now, Disney does a good job of kind of reminding you about all these little features and tips as you're going through it. So they'll remind you, hey, you're 60 days out, you might want to do this. Hey, you're 180 days out, you might want to do this. They kind of give you those tips and help you out. They make it exciting. They, they give you all this information. So when you get to the parks, you can actually just use your magic band. You walk up to the new uh, kiosks. Uh, they're just little poles with a Mickey Mouse head on the top. There are plenty of cast members around to help you. And you just tap your arm up against the uh, the the pole. It swings around with a white light. And then when it, when the uh, little uh, finger scan stand lights up, you put your finger on it. And if it's your first time going in, it's whatever finger you choose. And after that, it's the same finger. Every time you just put your finger on it and it will turn green telling you, you can enter the park. If there are issues or any problems, some cast member will help you. No problem. They'll, they'll help, they'll help you out. They'll take care of you. I know we've had some issues going in a couple of times, especially when it was new. There was a lot of little quirky issues that came up, but more recently, I haven't had any issues with it. It's been really easy, been very convenient, works every time. With the FastPass Plus, you basically go up to the fast the FastPass return for any ride or show you're going to go into, tap your band against that, and it will let you in. 
as you're doing different things throughout the day, you're, you can look back at your app at any point and see, hey, when were my dining reservations? When was I going to eat at the Beast Castle? When was I going to eat at uh, the Acre Shoes? Whatever, wherever you're going to go, you can just look at the app and find out what time it is, and you can set reminders and alerts to let you know where, where you were going to be and what you were going to do. And you just go there. You can charge directly to your, your Magic Band as you go there. If, you, if you're using the dining plan, it's linked up to your Magic Band as well. So you basically can just use it right off the bat and just scan it against one of the devices that they'll have there and it'll automatically deduct out your, uh, your dining plan. And if you want to pay for it, you can pay for it that way too if you have the credit card on file and you've allowed for the charging privilege. It's very easy. They make it really, really simple in that sense. You know, Disney will always find a way to make it easy to take your money. Trust me on this. And I don't mean that to be insulting toward anybody. They just want to make it as seamless as possible. Now, I have heard people say, hey, you know, when I start charging to this thing, I'm really not keeping track of what I'm charging. So in the past, people might have used cash or traveler's checks, kept all the receipts. They know how much money they have left. They know how much they spent, right? They came in with $1,000. Now they only have $100 left. That means they spent $900. When you, had, when you were using credit cards all the time, it was the same kind of a thing. You'd go in and you'd spend some money and you'd have all the receipts. So you could kind of keep track daily of how much you were spending. With this, it's a little harder. It's not impossible. You can still go in the app and see how much you've spent, but it's a little bit easier to kind of overspend in a way because you don't know exactly how much you're spending at any given time. I mean, you know what the amount is that came off that, that you were charging, but you know, you went and charged $10 here and $5 here and $3 there, bought a balloon, bought an ice cream, whatever, and suddenly it's $100. And you're not really keeping track of that per se unless you're really monitoring the app and seeing what you're doing. So it's just something to keep in mind as you're thinking about how you manage your day and how you manage your money. Not a big deal, just one of those things you need to think about. Other than that, the FastPass is really easy. As I told you, you can use it to uh, open your uh, room door. It works as your room key for your, your hotel room. You just tap it against the door and it opens right up. Very simple and easy to use that way. Everything else about it is pretty straightforward. I don't think there are any major cha challenges there. Now, I will tell you, getting some of the fast passes is really challenging. If you happen to be staying not on Disney property, the maximum amount of time you can use to book a fast pass is 30 days. So you lose that 30-day window where other other guests are getting that opportunity to book their fast passes. So you only have 30 days out to do it. For me, I travel a lot on a short notice. It's a week or two in advance that I know I'm going to go. So I don't always have that luxury. I'll try and book what I can, but I'll try and go on the fly and book some other things as I go. I can tell you that while you're there, the thing that FastPass Plus has done is it's changed the queuing model. So it used to be you'd walk up to some attractions and it would, you know, you'd see the you'd see the uh, the wait time might be two hours, three hours. With FastPass Plus, it really does line it up throughout the day. So the standby queues tend to be shorter than they ever were. So when you walk up to something that maybe was a two-hour wait before, it might be a one-hour wait. Where something was a one-hour wait, it might be a thirty-minute wait, and it's more consistent that way. It doesn't swell up at certain times and then drop off. So there is some play in there, some leeway that you have uh, to be able to hit some attractions and doing the standby queue. And some of the standby queues are really cute and worth doing. So it's not such a big deal. And the methodology of trying to decide, oh, I'm going to do this first thing of the day or last part of the day doesn't matter as much anymore because everything kind of changed. Because they leveled everything out and distribute the fast passes throughout the day, you have some opportunities to kind of go in at different times. And of course, you can always go check and see if there is a fast pass available for it, for that particular attraction. But you want to try to pick the things that are the bigger, what they would call e-ticket attractions, the things that are the, the really big ones, the, you know, the ones that really sell, the thrill rides and so forth. Those are the ones you want to try and get the fast passes for if you can, because those are the ones that tend to be the longer waits anyway. And of course, you can always walk by, see what the wait is. Maybe it's 30 minutes and your, your fast passes in an hour. 
you might want to just go ahead and write it once and then get off it and then go ahead and write it again 30 minutes after that. It's always an opportunity you have because you can always do something like that if you want to. So just kind of keep that in mind. It's, it's really pretty simple. They made it very easy. You don't have to fumble with tickets. You don't have to worry about the little paper cards for fast passes. Everything's kind of maintained in the app. And the app is one of those really cool things that gives you a sense of what's going on. And it really does help build the magic as you sit through and look at the app and enjoy yourself. So that's kind of fun. I actually kind of like that. Another question I got was about where to get Disney tickets. Well, Disney is interesting. Because Disney has this thing they do with their ticket prices. They like to maintain their ticket price, and they don't really resell their tickets anywhere. They had a big problem in the 90s with people buying extra unused tickets and reselling them. Even though the tickets say on them that they're non-transferable, there was a business for that. And people would buy and sell tickets, so they'd buy back, you know, if you had a four-day ticket and you only used three, these not-so-reputable sellers would buy back your unused day and would sell it to somebody else. So maybe you spent... You know, $100 on the ticket, they'd buy the unused day for $20 and they'd sell it to somebody else for 30 So essentially they were making $10 on the transaction, but the ticket was non-transferable. So technically it was against Disney policy and marginally might have been against the law. Disney cracked down on that hard. By putting in the uh, finger scan, they've eliminated that prospect. They've also changed kind of the nature of the way they sell their tickets. You can buy them directly from Disney or you can buy them at a little bit of a discount through some of the work clubs that you have. AAA, and some other places like that, where there are some discounted tickets available. There is one site that I'm aware of called Undercover Tourist that is a really legitimate reseller of tickets. Uh, They're authorized by Disney to sell them at a discount. It's not a huge discount, but it is a discount. Depending on how you want to stay and what you want to do, you may be better off going directly through Disney and, and actually purchasing a package where it includes dining, hotel, and tickets. Depends on what you want to do. And it depends on what your price point is. But I would look at all of those and make a decision about what you want to do. Or call a Disney travel agent. An authorized Disney travel agent is always a good choice. They don't charge a fee. They don't charge you for just looking. You can window shop and ask questions. So that's an opportunity that you may have if you want to just check it out and see what's going on. You can see how that works out. But I would never recommend buying from another reseller that says, hey, we have the cheapest Disney tickets in town. That never turns out to be the case. And often they're illegal. Or break, or break some Disney rule. So that's something you have to keep in mind as you think about these places because it may not be in your best interest to buy those kinds of things. So you have to kind of play around a little bit and plan it. Uh, there is a site out there that I'll give a plug to. It's mousesavers.com. There's a, a pretty good comprehensive list of where to get discounts and how to get them. You know, if you're a Florida resident, you, get, you can get a discount. There's other ways to get discounts at Disney that are you know, legitimate, and they do a pretty good job of listing it out. So that's, a, that's an opportunity. It's another way to look at it if you want to plan your own vacation. Well, that is my show for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, 
one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company.